Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. Thank you, Bruce, for your welcome. It means a lot to Edith and myself to be with you this morning to share in this happy occasion. Let us hear the Word of God. We read from the book of Joshua, the fourth chapter, verses 1 to 10, then 19 to 24, and then verses 10 to 12 of chapter 5. The story of how God's people, Israel, crossed the River Jordan and entered the Promised Land. When all the nations had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and by them set them in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the middle of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan, and everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And then verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. 
and then chapter 5 and verses 10 to 12. When the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and par parched grass. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Amen. And thanks be to God for the reading of his word. Before we turn to the scriptures, we sing together the hymn, When Upon Life's Billows, the words are on the back of the intimation sheet. When upon life's billows you are tempted tossed, count your blessings, and it will surprise you what God has done.
Bruce and the congregation, thank you for your welcome. May I say how touched I was when Bill, your session clerk, contacted me and asked if I would preach at this service to mark 20 years you have been partners in the gospel here at Park. Bruce and I go back a long time. He was in his teens when I went to Burnside in 1977. His father, as you'll know, was the secretary of the Glasgow City Mission, and his mother Nancy were members of another congregation at the time, but soon afterwards they joined the congregation at Burnside. And so the fellowship at Burnside was the soil in which Bruce put down his spiritual roots. I have good memories of Bruce's father and mother. Bill was an active elder and most supportive of my ministry. He was a stalwart evangelical of the old school and the same devotion to Christ, faithfulness to the scriptures, concern to proclaim the gospel and build the church has characterized Bruce's ministry over the years. And over those years, my regard for Bruce has grown. I think I'm right in saying that as moderator of Glasgow Presbytery, I presided at his service of ordination and induction at Carmyle and Kenmuir Mount Vernon. And I preached him in here, as they say, when he came to Park 20 years ago. And I've been here on other occasions too over the years, the last being a service to mark the refurbishing of this sanctuary. Bruce, I hold you in high regard and affection, and I'm grateful for your friendship and for your fellowship in ministry over the years, and count it a privilege to share in this special service as we thank God for you and for Elizabeth and your family. And as we look back with thanksgiving, we look forward in hope and faith for your future together. Before we turn to the scriptures then, let us pray. Our God and Father, as today we look back to the past, give thanks for the present, and look forward in faith to the future. We pray that you will speak to us your word, that it may be a word to encourage us as we go about the task of sharing the good news of Christ with those around us. We ask it in his name. Amen. The story of how God's people under the leadership of Joshua crossed the River Jordan and entered Canaan, the land which God had promised to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The story will be familiar to many of you, and it's outlined on the intimation sheet. Behind them was Egypt and centuries of slavery under Pharaoh. Before them, the promised land and freedom. And as they gathered on the banks of the river and prepared to cross over, God gave them three commands. First, they were to follow the ark, the ark which was a symbol of God's presence among them. And so the priests who carried the ark stood at the front of the procession, which massed on the banks of the river. Then secondly, the priests were to step off the bank into the river, and as they did so, the waters would part 
and they would cross over on dry land. Not until they actually waded into the river would the waters part. And surely that was a test of their faith in God's promise and their obedience to his command. I'm sure they would have been happier if God had parted the waters first so that they could see the dry path across the river before they stepped off the bank. But not until the people actually stepped into the waters of the Jordan did God part the waters. This is a detail which we may easily miss as we read the story. But I think it tells us something very important. What it says to us is that God's call is always a call to faith and to obedience. Faith and obedience. Faith in his promises, obedience to his commands. And that's what you and I often find so difficult, isn't it? God asks us to walk by faith. We prefer to walk by sight. We say, God, you part the waters, whatever the Jordan we have to cross. You part the waters, and then we'll walk across. But God says, no, you step into the waters at my command, and then I'll part the waters, and you'll safely pass over on dry land. Perhaps one of the reasons why we don't know more of God's blessing is that we walk more by sight than we do by faith. We attempt little because we believe little. Our vision is what is possible, is often restricted by our lack of faith, our low expectations, and our skeptical cast of mind. So God's word to his people then and to us now is both command and promise. Follow the ark, enter the river, and I promise that the waters will part and you'll cross over on dry land. And so Joshua and the people obeyed God's command, they believed his promise, and they crossed the Jordan on dry land. Then thirdly, the story tells us that Joshua issued a call to the people as they prepared to cross the river and enter the land. Consecrate yourselves, he said, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. What a call of challenge and promise to rally the people as they prepared to enter Canaan. Yes, God was about to work a miracle on their behalf. The river that lay between them and the land of promise would no longer stand in their way. God would part the waters and they would safely cross. And that would be a demonstration of his power. That was his promise. But they, for their part, were to renew their commitment to him as their God. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. What does this say to us? Is there not the suggestion that tomorrow's miracles depend on today's consecration? Now let me say straight away that God often works his wonders despite us. Have you and I not often been humbled by the fact that God has used us, perhaps through something we've said or through something we've done, when, if truth be told, we were spiritually below par and out of sorts? And those of us who have been called to ministry would have to admit that that has often been the case. That's all true. But at the same time, there is truth in the words of William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. Booth said, the greatness of a man's power 
that is, his effectiveness in the service of God and his church, the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. I find that deeply challenging. It's challenging personally. How much more God could do through you and through me if we were more completely at his disposal? And then it's a challenging word for us all together because God demonstrates his love and power not only through us as individuals, but through the life we share in the church. We are called to consecrate ourselves so that we might be a fit instrument for his purposes. And who can tell what God might do through a people over whose commitment and over whose consecration hang no question marks? Just think of the impacts which such a people could make on their homes and families, on the community in which they live, and in the places where they work. And so the people at Joshua's command renewed their commitment to God, and that paved the way for the miracle God worked on their behalf. God on his side cleared the way for them to cross the Jordan and parted the waters. But their faith in God's promises, their obedience to his commands, and their dedication to him had a part to play in what happened. Now, all that is really by way of background. We come now to the heart of the story and what I want to say on this day of celebration and thanksgiving for Bruce's ministry here at Park over the past 20 years. The story tells us that Joshua commanded that 12 men, one from each of the tribes, take 12 stones from the bed of the river once the waters had parted and carry them to the other side where they were to erect a cairn of stones, which would be a perpetual remember, reminder to them and to future generations of what God had done for them in parting the waters. A memorial. Now every city and town, even villages, I'm sure the same is true of Huntington, have memorials which commemorate people and events in the past. To what extent these memorials have any effect or lasting effect on people today is perhaps questionable. Perhaps only war memorials have any lasting impact. As for those memorials which people build for themselves, and one thinks of the architectural dreams of Hitler, one thinks of the statues and palaces which Saddam Hussein built for himself, one thinks of the multi-million pound villa which Grace, the wife of the deposed former president of Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe, built for herself. Or for that matter, the ornate tombs in the necropolis across from the cathedral in Glasgow to commemorate the tobacco barons whose enterprise made Glasgow great. As for all such memorials, they are shot through, are they not, with deep irony. And in retrospect and in hindsight, they are often the cause of embarrassment and even anger. Who of us will forget those pictures we saw on television years ago now of the mob in Baghdad pulling down a huge bronze statue of Saddam Hussein and then dancing on his torso, slapping his face with their shoes, which is apparently as insulting as you can get in Islamic culture. Memorials. Memorials. 
But the memorial which God commanded his people to make was of a different kind. The cairn was to remind them and those who came after them that their entry into the promised land was because of what God had done for them. So imagine a father and his son strolling along the banks of the Jordan, maybe some 20, 30, 40, 50, or even 100 or two years later, by which time, perhaps, the point at which the people had crossed the Jordan and entered the land had been made into a national park. Just imagine the boy points to the cairn and says, Dad, those stones piled on top of each other on the river bank, why are they there? And so the boy's question becomes the occasion for telling him the story of how God parted the waters of the river as the people crossed over and entered the land. When your children and their fathers in time to come ask, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan and dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters for you until you passed over. Now what does this tell us? It tells us that a large element of faith is remembering. It's remembering. Indeed, forgetfulness is one of the weapons of the devil which he uses to undermine faith. If he can get us to forget what God has done for us in the past, and we all have short memories, don't we? If when faced with difficulties, we fail to draw comfort and encouragement from the memory of how God undertook for us when we found ourselves in a similar situation in the past, then faith will almost certainly buckle at the knees when tested. What were we singing a few moments ago? When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And who is this Lord? Well, he's the Lord of whom we shall sing at the close of the service. Great is thy faithfulness, thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not, as thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. And so the importance of remembering. Remembering is an important element of faith. For Israel, the memorial was a cairn of 12 stones. For the church, for you and me today, well, the Apostle Paul tells us to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And Jesus himself tells us to remember him as he broke bread and passed the cup with his disciples in the upper room on the eve of his passion. He said to them, do this in remembrance of me. And so bread and wine are to us what that cairn of 12 stones was for Israel. Now it goes without saying that all our remembering on this day of anniversary is in the context of what God has done for us in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. The blessings which the hymn exhorts us to count and name one by one, they are all blessings which flow from the love and the grace God has shown us in Christ.
they are one way or another the blessings of the gospel, which as minister and congregation you have shared over the past 20 years. Blessings which have sprung from Bruce's ministry among you. Many of you, I'm sure, can testify to the blessings you have received through his faithful proclamation of the gospel, his teaching of God's word week by week, and his pastoral care for you. For some of you, it has been the blessing of salvation through faith in Christ. Once you weren't a member of God's family, now you are. And that has been the consequence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life as he evoked from you the response of faith to the message preached. And I was encouraged to hear from Bruce in the vestry before the service began that in recent weeks, one or two people who've been coming about have come to faith in Christ. That's wonderful. For others of you, it has been the blessing of a deeper, more understanding, and articulate faith. You have grown in faith under Bruce's ministry. For still others, it has been the blessing of becoming engaged in forms of Christian service and witness, which in turn have brought blessing to others, and all because of the challenge which the word preached has brought to you week by week. And so in how many ways God has used Bruce to bless you? But it's not just the personal blessings we receive for which we give thanks today. We also acknowledge and give thanks for the blessings we have known as a gathering of God's people here at Park. The emergence of a close fellowship where people love and care for one another and welcome the incomer. The refurbish refurbishment of the building, which has widened its use, not just for yourselves, but for the community as well. I think of the annual art exhibition. The many facets of your life as a congregation which are testimony to what God has done among you over the past years. And so we remember and we give thanks. And this anniversary service for Bruce and for you is a little like that cairn of 12 stones which was erected to commemorate the parting of the Jordan waters. It is a reminder of what God has done for you under Bruce's ministry. Having said that, I can hear someone saying, wait a minute, nothing as dramatic as what happened in Joshua's day has happened here at Park. If only we could tell of some extraordinary, never mind miraculous divine intervention in the story of our congregation. Well, I'm sure that many of you are able to speak of perhaps remarkable answers to your prayers, which left you exclaiming, would you believe it? Nevertheless, we do have to admit, don't we, that the event to which that pile of stones in the far bank of the Jordan bore witness was in a category of its own. It was a unique event. God didn't part the waters of the Jordan once or twice a month, or even once or twice a year, or for that matter, a few times in 20, 30, 50 years or more. If he had done so, then there would have been no need for a cairn. The cairn pointed to a unique event. And so the faith of God's people was sustained, not by frequent pyrotechnic displays of God's power, 
but by the ongoing witness to and teaching of that unique and once and for all act by which God demonstrated his power to save his people. Faith was kept alive by remembering. And that's surely true today as well. That doesn't exclude present demonstrations of God's power in unexpected and even miraculous ways. God can part the waters of whatever the present-day equivalent of the Jordan may be. God can part the waters whenever he likes and wherever he likes. And such demonstrations of his power may build up faith. But what we find in Scripture is not a rolling program of miracles, but a sequence of spaced-out, unique demonstrations of God's power which are to be remembered. We think, for instance, of the Exodus and the events surrounding the departure of God's people from Egypt. We think of the conquest of Canaan. We think of the cluster of miracles which surrounded the ministries of Elijah and Elisha. And, of course, we think of that nexus of events which surrounded the birth, life, death, and resurrection and ascension of our Lord. And then there was Pentecost and the founding of the church. And faith is nourished by remembering these events. And perhaps that needs to be emphasized when some in the church today look for the waters of the Jordan to be parted every other day and whose faith wilts when it doesn't happen. And so the parting of the waters of the Jordan was a unique, not-to-be-repeated event. As was the provision of manna. There was reference to that in the last part of our reading. The provision of manna to feed them during their pilgrimage through the, the wilderness after God delivered them from Pharaoh and slavery in Egypt. You know the story. Every morning during their wilderness wanderings, there on the ground was manna from heaven to feed them. But once they've crossed the Jordan, Scripture tells us that that miraculous provision ceased. And in place of the manna, they had the fruit of the land. And so they learned that the grain in the fields was as much God's provision as the manna which fell from heaven. We need to learn that God is at work as much in what we call the ordinary as he is in the extraordinary. Yes, there are times when God parts the waters of whatever Jordan we may have to cross. There are times when manna falls from heaven and God meets our needs in out-of-the-ordinary ways. But in our often wrong-headed fascination with the extraordinary in the spiritual realm, we overlook or we discount or we despise the ordinary. Is that not a danger of which we should beware in what, for all sorts of reasons, are difficult days for us all in the church, no matter what denomination we belong to? a time which we sometimes describe as a day of small things. Here are the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian, 
who was executed by the Nazis before the end of the Second World War. Bonhoeffer wrote, we pray for the big things and forget to give thanks for the ordinary, small, and yet not really small gifts. How can God entrust great things to one who will not thankfully receive from him the little things? If we do not give thanks for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even where there is no great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty, if on the contrary we keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us all in Jesus Christ. And so today, as you celebrate God's goodness to you as a congregation over the past 20 years, and erect your cairn of remembrance and thanksgiving for all God has done for you through Bruce's partnership with you and your partnership with him. May the memory of all that God has done among you through his word and by his spirit strengthen your faith, your faith in him and in his future purposes for you as a congregation. And may faithfulness in the small things we're going to sing of them in a moment. One verse of the hymn says, Praise in the common things of life, in goings in and out. Praise in each duty and each deed, however small and mean. May faithfulness in the small things and grateful acknowledgement of the blessings which flow from diligence in the ordinary routine of your life together, may all that prepare and equip you for whatever else God plans to do among you in days to come. And who can tell what that might be? As the Apostle Paul puts it, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, God has prepared for those who love him. So may God bless you, and may he bless his word to our hearts. And now that hymn. No, first we have the offering. All right. Uh, the hymn I quoted, Fill thou my life, O Lord, with praise.
The psalmist reminds us, praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, our Father in heaven, as we gather here on this day, we want to give you all the praise and the thanks and the glory. First of all, for all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ, your only Son, our Saviour. Were it not for the fact that you sought us and brought us to Christ, that we were saved because of our faith in him and what he has done for us on that cross and by his resurrection, we would not be here today in this place. We want to give you thanks, O God, for this new day. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This Lord's Day, this day when we can come apart from all the ordinary things of life and be together, the family of God here in this place. We give you thanks for your mercies, which are new every morning, for grace to sustain us each and every day. As we have been hearing in your word, as it has been brought to us by your servant, we give you thanks for past blessings. But we thank you that you are the God of yesterday, today, and forever. And so whilst we give thanks for the past, we rejoice in the blessings of today and the hope in Christ for all our tomorrows. Receive these gifts that have been brought and placed before you. They are tokens of our devotion, our commitment to Christ, to his church, and to his work in this place and in this community. We thank you for all your blessings to your people here, for the blessing of each other, the blessing of this beautiful building, which is used so much to proclaim the glory of Christ. We thank you again for your servant, Bruce McDowell, whom you called to this place all those years ago and who has faithfully served you, Lord, and your gospel in this place amongst this people. And as we give thanks for him again today, for all that you have made him to be, he, like the Apostle Paul, can say, I am what I am by the grace of God, and that grace was not given to me in vain. We thank you for him and for Elizabeth, his wife, and for Colin and Gregor. We thank you for this family, this covenant family. And we pray your blessing upon them together and each one individually. We pray your continued blessing upon your servant, Bruce, that you will continue to grant to him health and strength, wisdom and understanding that he may grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and so help the people that you have given him to shepherd and to care for in this place. Heavenly Father, for all the blessings of the past, we give you grateful thanks and ask for your continued faithfulness and blessing for the days that are to come. For this is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend, whose love 
is as great as his power and knows neither measure nor end. Tis Jesus the first and the last, whose spirit will guide us safe home. We'll praise him for all that is past, and we'll trust him for all that is to come. And all the people of God said, Amen. Let us sing our... Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.